Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, gentlemen, we are recording this on Boxing Day, day after Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas to both of you. Uh, happy holidays. Hope uh, everything was well with your families. Yeah, it has. It's like everyone's Christmas, busy but fun. Um, yeah, best to all of you guys and best to the listeners out there. I hope you guys have all had a, a wonderful Wildcat Christmas as well. And uh, and a happy Hanukkah as, as well, which is going on right now. Uh, yeah, good times. Good Good, good few days. I think we were all commiserating before the podcast started that um, our kids' behavior got got uh, demonstrably worse on uh, December twenty sixth. Yeah, it's amazing. Like when you don't have the hey, got to be good for Christmas uh, that thing to hang. That over elf people's... went back to the North Pole, and it all went to shit. Oh <laughs> yep. uh, well, uh, tonight a um, little bit of football to talk. A uh, little bit of Northwestern football. We got some Northwestern hoops to talk. And then uh, we'll get back into our bowl preview. Um, obviously, bowl games going on right now. We got a couple games as we're recording. Well, just just the one game going as as we record earlier tonight. Uh, Miami lost to Louisiana Tech fourteen nothing. <laughs> and um, as as we were as we were recording it early in the third quarter, uh, Eastern Michigan is up twenty to seventeen over Pitt. So we'll we'll get back and talk to the talk about those and some of the other bowl games that have happened thus far and uh, preview some of the rest of the uh, of the slate going into the second weekend, which is you know obviously the playoff is coming up this weekend. So definitely something to talk about there. But um, you know let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, Mike Bajakian and you know the Northwestern offense. Uh, we had some questions online of. You know, what, what should we expect? And I think we did, we've done a pretty good job of, of breaking down what, you know, what Bajakian has done where he, you know, in his previous stops and what we can think to expect. Um, but, you know, I, I think a lot is, you know, kind of contingent on, you know, who is, who is back for the cats. And we're, we're not going to go through the full, you know, roster breakdown of, you know, the 2020 season right now. But, you know, we, we did have some questions from people online, you know, wondering, you know, who's going to be catching balls for us. And, you know, I, I think, you know, as far as the wide receivers go, we've got a lot of receivers coming back. We've got a couple guys who redshirted last year uh, for whatever reason, Genson Hooper-Price and Bryce Kurtz. Uh, those guys are going to be, you know, four years of them. We've got, uh, you know, all the guys coming back except Skoranek. Well, um, is is that are we confirmed on Skoranek not coming back yet? Oh no, we're not. We're not. That, that's true. That's a Cuz to, to me that's the place to start cuz I think the the general feedback we've gotten is man, the wide receivers were pretty bad this past year. Like what what makes you think they can get better? And and again, I just want to I, I want to triple down on this as I have done on Twitter like folks you can simultaneously believe that we need better execution on our offense and that we also need better coaching. But let's hold off on the judgment of Hunter Johnson and our wide receiver core, given that they were being coached by arguably the worst offensive coordinator in college football. Like, can we stop it? Yeah, it's, I think it's really true. And I think, you know, on the flip side, 
well, flip side, but relative to the coaching staff, I mean, the fact that Hooper Price and Kurtz between them really didn't play at all last year. Um, and again, we don't know. There could have been reasons. There could have been injury. It could have been just that, you know, the coaches felt these guys weren't ready. But it's not like there wasn't personnel who the tires could have theoretically really been kicked on if there was a real view that the wide receivers were the problem. And I don't think that's what was going on. I just don't think that's what people expected. And again, it's like the same thing we were saying is at the beginning of the year when Skoranek was healthy, it didn't make too much of a difference because like we weren't able to get him the ball. Um, and and again, the same could apply. Well, but before we move off Skoranek, though, I, like, I, I did want to come back to that real quick because I think, I think that's a huge not just a question mark from a personnel standpoint, but like the thing that we've talked about about Pajaki and a lot is that he, he adapts to his personnel. And that is, that is a player who could fit very well into a downfield receiving threat as we saw him for his first, you know, two years with Northwestern, or frankly, he could fit into a pass catching tight end role as well. Um, which would be a really nice fit in, in, in Bajakian's offense. And that like, to me, that's the, the, the number one domino. If, if Skronik comes back, that's, that's a really nice card to have in the deck. For sure. And, you know, if we did a lot of juxtaposing with this Boston College offense, this year's Boston College offense, and thinking that a lot of that's probably going to be what Bajakian brings to Northwestern next year. And if that's true, one thing you'll see would, in theory, be a, sh- a shorter wide receiver rotation. So the question would then become, well, okay, is it about, you know, is there a concern with the overall depth in our receiver core, which, you know... I don't think any of us are in the anti-Dennis Springer camp. I mean, like I said, when I wrote my big recruiting retrospective of the past, what, like five, six years, um, one of the things you see is a solid, you know, B level of receiver and that the unit's strength has been its depth. Well, I could see, uh, well, okay, now you're moving toward a situation where you may have to shorten that rotation up and really find the impact guys. But at the same time, if there's a Kyrick McGowan playing at wide receiver or a Triple J who we've seen is athletic and fast, etc., we know we've got guys like Kurtz and Hooper Price where, again, there's no way to read anything about those guys other than that they were really dynamic recruits who didn't have a chance to do anything last year. Um, There are a lot of big names who are going to compete for a relatively short amount of spots in this wide receiver rotation. And that ought to yield some quality competition and, you know, allow the cream to rise to the surface. I think in in terms of going over the top, I don't have any concerns about a lack of speed on our wide receiver core. Um, again, to, to discuss this point earlier and to go back to something we talked about last week, Ohio State was putting their corners right up in our face. And those were ultra athletic corners, most of whom are going to play on Sunday. I totally get that. But I reject the argument that there was some great athletic advantage there and that that was presenting, preventing our receivers from getting anything done. It was just we had an offense that was stubbornly refusing to go over the top or even attempt that at all. And we had quarterbacks who had been taken to a place where they just weren't hitting their targets at all. Um, now I think you're going to see a situation where the offense is going to be um, again, we talked about those bunch formations, guys brought in tighter to the ball, etc. But a willingness to go over the top and a willingness to really try to leverage the athleticism of a couple of these wide receivers. So it's like if you're going to make a comment about the wide receiver's ability to get downfield and make plays over the top, 
this will be the season that determines that. But last season certainly wasn't. I don't see how you can read much of anything out of the receiver core from that. Yeah, well, and you can go back two years, right? And you saw some of these same guys, McGowan, uh, Jefferson, like doing things downfield. This is why, you know, I think I, I think we feel decent about the wide receiver room. the The super back room is is a bigger a bigger question. I think that's that you know people have have asked like, gosh, we're we're shifting to this heavy running back tight end place and. Well, let's be honest. Our running back depth is, is looks questionable, and our tight end depth looks questionable as well. I think the argument here is that Northwestern has recruited really well to these positions in the past. Now, running backs, John, you mentioned your 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 recruiting and development deep dive, and running back was a position where yeah, we've recruited really well at the top end. The depth hasn't really been there. Um, some of that has been bad luck, i.e., I. Jeremy Larkin. Um, we've got Cameron Porter coming in next year, as who who for my money is is possibly better than anybody else we've got on the roster currently so you know that depth should immediately get better next season um we talked a lot about Trey Pugh going into 2019 and maybe not as much throughout 2019 because he was obviously hurt but that's a player we think could be really dynamic in this type of role but after him you know we're looking at recruits but but Bottom line is Northwestern's recruited well to these positions in the past. I think there's no reason they can't do it in the future. I think John, you highlighted that Boston College's leading receiver was was a two star recruit at tight end. I mean, it doesn't like it. This you, you don't need Rob Gronkowski out there to make this offense work. No, absolutely, and it's so easy to forget too. Um, you mentioned again like issues we've had with like thin at the top. Um, you know, lack of depth at running back. That's never been the case at Superback. Um, the depth has always been fantastic. And it would have been this year. Um, Cam Green had to retire. And then Trey Pugh got a really bad injury. And I think this is something that's really important to to keep in mind. The way things kind of tend to play out in a week-to-week situation because of just how clandestine Northwestern is with injury reports at any other school, the way it would have read was early on in the season, oh, Trey Pugh had an awful injury and he won't be playing this coming year. So we will not be seeing Trey Pugh until late in the season, if at all this season, and that would have been it. Instead, what we've got is, oh, you know, Trey's coming along, Trey's coming along, he might play, etc. When really, there was, he just he was out with a really bad injury for a long period of time. And because of that, I think it contributes to this idea that, oh, you know, really kind of mediocre year out of Trey Pugh. And it's like, not really. Trey Pugh basically had one leg for the first half of the season. Finally was beginning to round into a position at the end of the season where he could make an impact. And by that time in the season, we were throwing the ball six to seven times a game. So, Trey... Well, well, I I think he had one really bad drop... um in the uh was it the Illinois game or the week before maybe against Minnesota and like that that's what everybody remembers about Trey Pugh and right like, it's like that's those were like, like that was the time he basically played this yeah year. like uh, not right. nah, folks that's not right. that's like again 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 the guy coaching these dudes and developing these dudes and or- orchestrating where they stood on the field and where they went and what they did from play to play to play to play was right Arguably one of the worst in college football. Right. And and Trey Pugh, um, again, too, the 
now he's got that much more time to get healthy and try to round himself into shape. Again, he was a really big recruit. Another guy who was a really big recruit was a guy who was a freshman this past year, Thomas Gordon, also a really big recruit, right? And then you've got Mangieri, and then we've got, you know, guys who are coming in freshmen this year, Marshall Lang, um, Hunter Welsing, also were big recruits. Um, but the reality is last year, suddenly it was a situation where you had Mangieri, who was really young, and you had, I mean, Gordon, who was a true freshman, and Trey Pugh, who really, suddenly it went from a position of, oh, Cam Green can't play well, Trey Pugh, this is your year, and then Trey Pugh got a really bad injury. So, again, to Scuzz's point, I, I think reports of the demise of the superback position are a little bit overrated. Um Next year, if you've got a Trey Pugh who's much closer to healthy, and you've got Mangieri, and you've got Thomas Gordon, and you've also got two highly regarded freshmen in an offense that puts these guys in positions to succeed, I think you're going to see success from these guys. Before we move on, um, we have not talked about the recruiting class. Uh, we uh, Last episode was the day before signing day. And, um, you know, we, we should probably mention some of the, the questions and, you know, things that we were worried about. Um, you know, guys who, you know, guys who flipped on us. Um, well, let's, maybe we start there, um, with, uh, is it Abdur, Abdur Rahman Yassim? Yeah. So just briefly, we were, we were worried he was going to flip to Purdue. Um, John, you called out the fact he had taken a visit to Purdue the weekend prior to uh, early signing day, and that's where he ended up going. I, I saw some folks online talking about, you know, this like again, two camps. One camp was, well, this is what you get after a horrible year, and the other camp was, this is what you get when you bring in a offensive coordinator who's committed to a run heavy, uh, tight end heavy offense. And I think the reality is probably that, like, this dude stayed committed through a lot of the terribleness of the season, and um, I don't think that, you know, upon hearing Mike Bajakian's name, immediately called up Purdue and was like, hey guys, can you squeeze me in next weekend? I just, I don't think things can quite go that quickly. Um, it's as much about Purdue. Credit where credit is due. Yeah, right? I mean, I think this is probably Purdue's been calling him and pinging him and saying, hey, look at our offense, look at our offense, here's where we're going to slot you in, like... Yada 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 yada, um, and and all these things are certainly a factor, right? Like he, I, I'd say probably Skoranek leaving, like saying he's going to the transfer portal is is and maybe the questions of quarterback are a far bigger uh, issue for this kid than any of those other things. Um, but who knows? Uh, speaking of quarterback, um, you know we we had mentioned a couple guys who we were hoping uh, to pick up. Um, you know, Mike White. Was it? Uh, was choosing yeah. between us and Vanderbilt. Uh, chose Vanderbilt. So on signing day, kind of left us without a quarterback. A couple days later, we find out that uh, you know we're signing Carl Richardson, um, kid out of the Northwest, Salinas, or out of Salinas, California. Um, guy that I don't think was on anybody's <laughs> radar. It's funny. It's funny you say Northwest, and I know why you said that because that's where all his offers were, right? Yeah, Boise, <laughs> like Boise Washington State. State, and Nevada, right? Um, and, you know, Colorado State, etc. So it's like the um, he it that the situation's fascinating to me. Number one, um, frankly, 
we all once you know with the Aiden Atkinson debacle, um, which of course Northwestern had nothing to do with, but suddenly finding yourself without a really highly regarded quarterback, and then you know immediately somehow hope against hope, it looked like I think who was it Rotomaker and White that between one of those two quarterbacks we were somehow going to steal a high high um, you know group of five level quarterback who had major power five offers and then it came so close to going our way and it didn't but realistically well, I mean, well just to jump in rotomaker ended up at florida state and then right. um mike white uh who was going to go to central florida ended up or, or south florida i forget which one of the uh, directional Flint, florida south south florida yeah 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 south florida where 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 charlie strong got let go so he 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 flipped and was you know, like like you said, between Vanderbilt and NU, and ended up picking Vandy. Right. So, I mean, with that said, can, can I can I say um, I'm I'm pretty happy with the guy we stole from Vandy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> in that in that exchange, I'm pretty happy how we came out. Yeah. Amen. Because um, and- J- Jordan Butler on the line with Tara Edwards in in two to three years time, like, oh my God, sign me up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's the you know the big silver lining of this class, but. Richardson, you know, he's a when you're getting a guy basically out of out of nothing. I mean, right? This is post signing day. We didn't have a quarterback, and this guy had a Boise State offer, um, Colorado and Wazoo. State. If, and if Wazoo, Boise, Boise State and Wazoo like a QB, like that sounds pretty good to me, right? And and if you're saying to yourself, yeah, but that's not that great. Again, it's like there's to fill a Scott. Like this guy is a tall. Pro style quarterback who can chuck the ball and is going to have every opportunity to do something in this offense. It's not a you know it's it's a good save and it's a it's the best kind of save realistically we could have been expecting in this situation. So that's good. I think you know the the more worrisome thing is um, Ramon Yassin and it, it was a really kind of weird class because. For so long, the incredibly high ratings of Aiden Atkinson, Abdul Rahman Yassin, and Cam Porter hid the fact that we only had one quarterback, one running back, and one wide receiver in the class. And then we lost the quarterback, and we lost the wide receiver. And suddenly we had almost no offensive players in this class. And Well, no offensive skill players. I mean, let's, no not, offensive, you know, right. let's oh, not shortchange oh, yes. Skaronsky. Again. And pre- uh, <laughs> I will t- I will take what we got in this no, class, and, and I will I will love it. And that's the thing is the I think you know like rivals had a thing where they're like they rated us as like the twelfth best Northwestern the the twelfth best class in the conference, and I get that. And again, there are real holes and there are real names missing, um, especially in the wide receiver core. You see the logic in it, though. You see like you're going to have trouble short notice picking up you know, a replacement wide receiver in an offense where not a lot of wide receivers are in the rotation. Like I get that. That may be a change that we kind of see over the next couple of years. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, Paradox, you know, on the flip side, it may play out in a positive way relative to the running back core. We really don't know, but the identity of the strength of the Northwestern football team over the past four or five years is so strongly reflected in this class um, on the defensive side of the ball there are legitimate, like, impact potential star players at every defensive position in this class. Um, they are all 
highly regarded three-star players at every position. And, you know, this goes back to times where we've talked about Northwestern's had trouble recruiting cornerbacks before. Like, not in this class. There are not anymore. <laughs> yeah, there are cornerbacks with offers from big-time schools in this class. Um, and, of course, up front, the, you know, it's funny, for all of the great recruits and great strength, you know, it seems like we've recruited so many just diesel ends over the past couple of years, you know, whether it be um, Dean Lowry, Gastown, Ernest Brown, etc. Um, there's just 600 pounds of defensive tackle monster in this class between Butler and Tara Edwards. And um, it's it's awesome. So, yeah, it's it's the character of this team. And then again, Scuzz, as you alluded to, or Sam, you alluded to, just because there's this offense is light on skill position players doesn't mean it's light on offense. <laughs> Plus, there's there's also the second round of signing day. You've got, you know, the the one in uh February where, you know, anyone who's still left um is, you know, recruiting's not done for 2020. So, there there uh, we'll have to see what happens with, you know, available scholarships and and kind of what what not from there, but I would not be surprised to see us go hard after Another uh, after a wide receiver, one who didn't get one who didn't sign in the early signing period. Yeah, totally. And I mean, there's there, there's so many. Well, and even that, like the transfer portal, right? Like, yeah, I I would be stunned if we didn't bring in a transfer court portal quarterback. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if we didn't, especially if we lose Skoranek. I'd be pretty surprised if we didn't have somebody else coming back to us. Especially there's a guy from from Stanford uh, that looks pretty intriguing. Which one? Um, I mean, half that well, team is yeah, transferring. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. If you're a senior on Stanford and you can, you are transferring. Um, so, I, like, it's it's it honestly is so much easier to get skill position players through the transfer portal. And and what you what you struggle to do is build an offensive line that's got you know tendrils across four classes and the and the um, chemistry and the history of playing together and the shared starts, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so. I mean, this team is is interestingly. I think what Northwestern did on defense when after Fitzgerald took over and, and replaced um, Greg Colby, as they started building from the inside out, uh, and, and really line, like that that is that's a theory. Like when you're building a team, you got to start on the line, offensive and defensive line, because like a good O line can you know make up for a bad quarterback. A bad O line with a good quarterback doesn't matter. It doesn't matter yeah. how good your quarterback is. If you don't have a line, doesn't matter. Well, what's really really interesting, you look at the quality of recruits Northwestern got back back in the day, and it started going up on D-line first. And be- before it even started going up in, at linebacker, which is interesting, I always, I always thought Fitzgerald would be recruiting high-end linebackers very quickly. And he certainly developed some some great players along the way, like Nick Roach is one that that comes to mind. Anthony Walker is another one who was a two star recruit, and my guy was named the defensive player of the week in the NFL this past week. Um, but but the the progression there really started on the line, and I love that on offense. That's I mean that's been our our deficiency for ten years, and um they addressed it they addressed it in spades in this class, and I think they will continue to, and that's. That's a that's a great place to, and 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 nobody should hear what I'm saying here and think that we're restarting on offense. But it's a great place to recenter uh, the the approach on this offense. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, to your point in the trenches, one of the things that I just love is I think 
one of the things Skaronsky being the leader, right? One of the main talking points about Skaronsky is that he's just this athletic freak of strength. Like that's one of the things. Like the guy's just like a track monster. And Northwestern's had really good success with freak strength guys. Tyler Lancaster being one of the really big ones. Um, Tommy Adebaware, who had a sack this past year, but just in general looked really dangerous every time he was on the field, um, who is going to have a fantastic Northwestern career at defensive end, um, is another one who is just known to be this track, um, you know, field sports athletic marvel. And now Skaronsky has the same resume, just this athletic monster. Preeb, who has, Josh Preeb, who as Scuzz has mentioned, is just mean. Like, mean and nasty. Like, a mean and nasty guard. Everything had, you want in a guard. Yeah, who had tons of major offers. Um, and everyone was like, wow, that guy's mean and nasty and plays guard. And then Ben Rather, who is basically... A Gunnar Vogel-sized offensive lineman, he will be 6'6", 300-plus on the offensive line in an offense that is now like, we want to go heavy and run downhill. That is the size guy you want to offer, want on that. And he had a Penn State offer. He took a visit to Penn State, then visited Northwestern and signed with Northwestern. That's the offensive line in this class. So yeah, takes a little of the sting out of how many wide receivers are not in the class, that it's just this absolute collection of road graders. So, John, it's interesting. You mentioned earlier, like, not being in the anti-Dennis Springer camp. And I wouldn't say that I'm like, we got we got we to gotta change our wide receiver coach. But I have always felt like there was a drop-off in um, development from, from when we traded Kevin Johns to Indiana for Dennis Springer. I know it wasn't actually a trade. I just liked it. You know, it happened at the same time. It was funny. Anyways, um, I mean, if you think about like Kevin Johns, like Zeke Markshausen and some of these other guys that just, just came out of nowhere. Now then at the same time, like Springer's had Austin Carr. Um, but I, I do, I do wonder if we're getting all we can out of that position. Now that, that, that is a really hard judgment to make when you look at the offensive scheme we have been running and everything that we've talked about for the last seven years, vis-a-vis Mick McCall. So, um, I'm going to reserve just like I'm reserving judgment on Hunter Johnson. I'm going to reserve judgment a little bit on Dennis Springer for that reason, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see like, even like if we're not able to get, you know, high end recruits at receiver, um, in part because of the system we're running, anymore if we're able to um show the type of development that we used to show in the past with some of the lower the lower rated dudes yeah we'll see um and and again i think the aforementioned competition is going to play into that right because it's like look the the cream is going to rise to the top here um the, the numbers are there. I mean, you look at, again, at Boston College, I think it was what, the, Zay Flowers and Kobe White, right? That was, those were the guys. And I think those were the guys who distinguished themselves and then the guys who took off. And I think you may see the, the same kind of thing. And I think, again, it's a brand new coordinator, brand new open competition. I think everyone's coming in. Um, you know, the the guys who are going to be redshirt freshmen this year on up, it's going to be brand new thing. And I think, it's, you're going to see a fierce competition week to week as the guys try to, to find find who's going to step up and who's going to get those reps. 
So a lot more to talk about on the uh, on the recruiting front. Uh, we'll you know see how this class comes together. Um, you know, foot, we'll keep our eyes on on football on the uh, transfer portal, all that. Want to pivot real quick to basketball. Um, you know, a couple of games that Cats had uh, this past week and a half or so that uh, we should probably discuss. Um, and in really interesting fashion. So this Northwestern bas- men's basketball team. It's a little friskier than I think any of us thought that they would be. Um, you know, kept it real close with Michigan State, uh, only losing by five. A uh, game against DePaul, they lost 83-78, a game that they were in, you know, the, the entire way. Um, you know, gave up the lead late, uh, to end up losing that one. And, you know, I, I think, you know, this has gone from, you know, a situation where we thought this was going to be just a, a massive tire fire from the start. Um, in, into a situation where, you know, th- this, this team is going to upset someone. Um, are, are we going to go, are we going to be at the top of the Big Ten? No, no, we're not. Are we going to be playing on the first day of the Big Ten tournament? Probably, yeah. But, um, you know, we're going to scare someone and, you know, we're going to, we're going to win some games. And, you know, I, I think this, this team is young, but, you know, we're, we're starting to see, especially with like a guy like Boo Booey, who the past couple games has just exploded. Um, you know, he was obviously very well regarded coming in and, you know, kind of struggled to, to begin the season. But, um, you know, starting against DePaul had a monster game. Yeah, I think it's it's easy to forget, I think, just because of the schadenfreude that Northwestern fandom is in right now. And then the, the fact that Guard play was basically non-existent offensively for Northwestern last year, and that that was at the core of just the disaster that this team faced, especially in conference play. And then at the start of the year, to have Bowie, um, have Pat Spencer come in, and then have Bowie have a slow start to the season, which again, for a freshman who, like Sam said, was highly regarded, but was by no means like a monster recruit or the jewel of the class, etc. Um, and to be forced into a heavy playing time rotate you know role he struggled a little bit but now suddenly what you see is he's a good player to Sam's point and has emerged with what close to 50 points I think in in the last two games and not only that but you know 50 points in the last two games and two total turnovers and turnovers had been his issue at the start of the season and this is against two great teams Michigan State and a 12 and one DePaul team in two tight losses and one of the thing it highlights one of the, you know the main thing it highlights is we talked about so much about oh you know bemoaning you know the potential of a guy like Pete Nance last season and into the start of this season saying oh you can see what he could be if he could just get it together etc so much of the struggles of last year were just the lack of capable ball handlers at the top of the key and true guards and we don't have many now but just with Bowie's emergence and Spencer's ability to run up and down the floor and be athletic and at times make shots, the difference between having zero guards who can make a legitimate offensive contribution and a solid one and sometimes two is just a world of difference, even for a team that's still working its way up. Well, I I, I will say there are some podcasts from last year you could go back and listen to where, where Sam and I Essentially, but what about Boo Booey and John? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
No, I know. And he was, and, and I think that goes again to the, the general mindset where I was just thinking, I was like, look, and, 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 and rightly that, so you were in that right mindset, rightly so. Well, and part of that was because the, you know, again, Ryan, Ryan Greer is an example of a guy who, you know, a classified up a year to come in and play and B certainly last year was just not at that level of, yeah, just str- struggled big 10 player. Right. And, and Bowie is a, is a higher level of recruit, certainly. Um, but my thinking was basically, and something that at least at the start of the season seemed to be validated, which was basically like, this kid can't come in and do it all, right? Like, and if you try, it could go horribly bad. And, and he had growing pains that really didn't have anything to do with him. Um, and the, or other than just his standard youth and coming into college and since then has adjusted. And again, you wish that the guard rotation was a little bit deeper. But, you know, some of the talk has been, well, you know, Bowie stepped up the past couple of games, but Spencer hasn't really done anything. Well, Spencer was quiet against Michigan State, but he had a pretty strong game against DePaul. And in both games, both of them played a lot of minutes. And just to get that many quality minutes out of two guards from an offensive standpoint, because again, to take nothing away from Anthony Gaines, who's hurt now and missed the DePaul game, Gaines is a great athlete and a fantastic defensive player, but offense has never been the forte of his game. And just to have two players, guards on the floor at the same time, who can potentially do damage, real damage, team leading damage from an offensive standpoint um, is a really big thing. And again, it's easy to forget now that Bowie's playing so well that Spencer had a couple of games earlier in the season where he made a really big offensive impact. And and again, we've kind of talked that it's a, it was a real head-scratcher that for a big part of this season, the fact that the novelty of the Pat Spencer acquisition actually manifested itself into something useful in a real solid basketball <laughs> way was kind of amazing. But the fact of the matter is it did. Like, the kid can play, and he's a great athlete who can get up and down the floor. And to Sam's point earlier, again, this is a team that's not looking to make a big conference run here. They're just looking to win some conference games and make some dents and build for the future. And you can see how, you know, with the potential of a Nance and and some of these other young guys, Ryan Young for sure, um, who's capable of putting up a double-double on the right night, if you get a night where both guards are playing good basketball, it just can change everything. And if you get a night where Spencer and Bowie are both shooting the lights out, which against DePaul they were, you can easily see a, a team that can pick up a win against really anyone in the bottom half of the Big Ten. Well, I think there's an important juxtap- juxtaposition against last year. And I, you know, you talk about Bowie struggling early, obviously. I I have to think that Spencer in those early days has been a, a, a helpful and heady, steady hand for the whole team. And what you've seen as players like Bowie um, or Cop, who's also been shooting pretty well, have emerged. You've seen Spencer dial it back. Like he only took seven shots last game. He's not like he's not out there running, gunning. I think he knows his role. And whether that's quiet leadership or vocal leadership coming from him in the locker room, I think that has probably been really helpful to Bowie to have another guard um, that he can, you know, obviously a guy that that has not played major level college basketball before, but has been at a, at the top level of his sport, right? Like that, that counts for something. And I just, I juxtapose that against last season in which 
and in the in the context you just laid out, John, is spot on, right? Like they're gunning for development and let's get some wins le- this year. Last year it was shit. Vic Law and Derek Parton are about to graduate. We got to send these guys out right. We got to make the dance. We got to we got to give it our all. And I think that kind of pressure load on Ryan Greer without really anyone alongside of him at the guard position was was probably stifling in some ways. Um, plus the other plus the pressure of you know first first season back at the renovated arena. I mean coming back yep, on campus. Yep, there, were, there was a lot of things playing into that. Um, so yeah, and I, I you know I also look at a guy like AJ Turner who I think got put in a similar role last season of just a lot of big spotlight and you know is is much more of a role player but also one of you know outside of gains one of the only players that um was heavily involved last season outside you know nance played a little bit here and there cop a little bit here and there but uh it was really turner cop and or uh, it was really turner gains and then um ryan greer along with the with the other guys who graduated or transferred so you know, I, I, I got to think that that has been really helpful for Bowie. It, it's also worth mentioning that it's not just the last two games. Bowie went for 20 against Boston College. Um, so three of the last five games, he's gone uh, over 20 points in that BC game. He came off the bench and I think it was eight for nine. And that was, you know, kind of a record. So he's he's been he's been building towards this. And it's it's really exciting to think about what might happen uh, down the track. I think the other thing that's interesting is you've seen the cats play pretty decent these last two games and not have to do it all through the center position. So the emergence of a guy like Bowie, the improved shooting from, from either cop or Nance, um, who've kind of gone back and forth the last couple games that just takes a lot of pressure off of what seemed to be the only winning formula for Northwestern previously, which was Pat Spencer runs around and then, um, we get the ball in deep to Ryan young. And if we couldn't do one of those two things, we got, you know, waxed pretty good so this is uh this is exciting development and and who do who do we have up next we've got uh hartford uh, hartford but then you know at minnesota at at indiana in early january and um man who knows that we got you know a bunch of winnable games but till you know you get to, to the back half of january it's gonna be pretty rough with maryland ohio state michigan state but um up until then you know five games that are presumably like we could be in those i well you know too aside from that and this is almost and a beyond, you know, above and beyond the X's and O's of basketball, I just have to give a lot of credit to this team. It's an unbelievably young team with a really sunny outlook, game to game. I mean, these guys took two devastating losses to start the season. Um, just two, and again, there was that Providence win that, again, does not have a place alongside, let's say, like the Boston College win. Or the Bradley win, um, because the team that played in those two wins was just at a much higher level of basketball. That Providence game was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, And then right on the other side, they took that loss to Radford, and that was a brutal way to start the season. And the mentality of this team immediately was like, well, we're young and we're figuring things out, but we're like super high energy and we're going to get a bunch of these guys. And then they beat Norfolk, went down to the tournament, really kind of jumped all over a Bradley team that I think was favored. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. And the, Yeah, and like, took it to the championship game, lost to Pitt, bounced right back, went out and smoked BC, um, lost to Purdue, um, but again, has played two really tight games. And you can feel that this team is, you know, coming out of this Michigan State game and coming out of this DePaul game, 
very much from a perspective of we are close to getting one of these teams. And I think that's, in a way, it's it's a fun way to roll into 2020, to be able to look at a stretch that's like Minnesota, Indiana, Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, and be like, we're going to get one of these guys. Um, and it's just cool because, I mean, again, it's like, yeah, do you wish the team was at a higher level? Of course we do. But you can see the mentality of the guys is like, we are going to knock someone off that no one thinks we can knock off. And again, there were times in that Michigan State game where Michigan State was thinking, God, it's not going to be us, is it? Um, and that's a pretty cool place. And it's a, it's, a, it's a cool place that ironically makes this team that has had so many problems feel a little bit dangerous. Well, and, and that the, the long shot or the long run here is what we are more excited about. And we alerted, alluded to this early, early on in the year after that Radford loss when Northwestern fandom was wondering if there were two coaches that needed to be fired and if Chris Collins was one of them, if, if the wheels would come off this, um, this, this experience. And when you look at the buoy Jared Jones, uh, uh, Robbie Barron class that came in this season, like, Ooh, wow, that's looking that's looking pretty darn nice. Um, it's pretty great that Jones and Barron, unlike Cop and Nance last year, are getting to just. I mean, I think Cop and Nance last year never did, did play that much, but it was always kind of this question of, gosh, why aren't we getting more from them? Why, you know, they needed some time, right? They're they're starting to feel it out this year and and, and are looking decent. Barron and Jones are getting the opportunity to develop with even less pressure on them this season, which is pretty exciting. And then you've got you know. Some some exciting stuff coming, uh, you know, potentially next year and year after. So there's just there's just an air of um, future potential around this squad right now. That like who like who knows? All it takes is one or two guys to, to kind of go up in smoke, and that that can all fall apart. Um, as we saw, you know, last year, expecting that that um, that one guard to come in who who ended up not making it to Northwestern, and and maybe as we're seeing a little bit on the football season uh, football side right now too. But still, like the. The future looks bright right now, and um, it makes you know kind of what we're what we're going to see in the win total this year uh, much more palatable, and kind of allow us to focus more on the developmental stuff and and the growing pains, um, which is exciting. As you say, there, there's an optimism surrounding this team that I think we even like a couple weeks ago we weren't seeing, and you know, I mean, I, I we were all pretty negative uh, going into the season, and yeah, you know, I, I, I for one will say. I'm willing to eat crow. You know, I, I thought this was going to be a terrible team and the record might, might end up being terrible, but there's definitely some excitement around this team. So I think, I think you fast forward to next year and I think the negativity and the kind of giant question marks coming into the season are, are what everyone is going to be talking about around the football program. So I'm just, just sock that away for now. I will say though, right. That just think the week before the Illinois game, we were talking, and certainly a lot of people were thinking, we might not win any football conference games. We might not win any basketball conference games. And hey, since then, we beat Illinois. We got a new offensive coordinator, and the basketball team's showing real signs of life. So Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, there's, there are some positive things. There's some, some real positives and some happy thoughts to take into 2020. Hey, and here's a, here, here's a New Year's present for y'all. Uh, well, I guess I guess two of them on Friday night. Um, Northwestern women play at Illinois, and then on New Sa- Year's Saturday Eve, afternoon. Uh, yep, three p.m. and then New Year's Eve at five p.m. They host number twelve Maryland. 
This is what what should be an eleven and one Northwestern team. They got to they got to get past Illinois first, but they're ten and one right now. Um, after a tight one against BC, which I think we talked about the last time we potted, they absolutely obliterated Dartmouth, uh, Texas Arlington, ECU, and Xavier, and uh, are going into Big Ten ten play ten and one. That Maryland game, gargantuan. That's right. We're coming for you. We're coming for you, Turtle. Watch out. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the women's team is playing absolutely phenomenal, and you know it, it's real exciting to see. And yeah, I mean, you, you talk about optimism, and there is a lot of optimism, you know, for the for the women here. It, it's real, like four just absolute curb stompings, like you said, Scuzz. You know, just a hell of a way to you know get into Big Ten play. It's gonna it's gonna be fun. Now, now the the the, the... Slight like question mark is the only good team they've played is DePaul, and and they lost a really tight one that was back and forth all game. You, you know, you, you know that they can play with top twenty five teams, but they haven't beaten anyone yet, which is the reason they're not ranked, even even though they're ten and one. So these next uh, these next two are pretty massive. And the Big Ten women's Big Ten women's team right now. I think the last time I looked at ESPN bracketology, so like. I think something like 11 or 12 teams were getting in uh, to the tournament. It's a really deep conference for women's basketball, and they're all going to start slugging each other. But we have one of the very best teams, and I think that's going to bear itself out. Yeah, Penn State is last in the league right now with a 6-5 and five overall record. Everyone else is. There's two teams that are 7-4. and four. One eight and three, and then it's nine or ten wins for for everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> Big Ten women's basketball is good for sure. Watch some games. Well, guys, in the interest of not keeping people listening to a two hour podcast, we're going to go ahead and split this one up into two parts. Uh, come back for part two of our uh, bowl previews. Uh, we're going to go through each one of the rest of the bowl games, uh, talking about each one. So. With that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates. You can always email the show at westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flagging the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.